I hope you have a copy of the bulletin because I have on purpose had my scripture typed into the bulletin because today I want to deal with the subject of what we know we know as Christians. We're living in a time when people say they know a lot of things, but the truth of it is a lot of people know things that are not true. About a hundred years ago, I read this in a book. It says, it is better not to know so much than to know so many things that ain't so. And a lot of people know a lot that are simply not so. So to paraphrase or to rephrase, whatever you know, be sure it is so. And so today I have selected three verses from three different books that use the two words we know. And I want to camp there a little bit today and talk about what does it mean as a Christian to know certain biblical truths. And so if you're looking at your bulletin, John, the beloved disciple, he said in his little letter, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And he who does not love abides in death. And then Paul, as he wrote to the church at Rome, he said something here that has arrested the attention of theologians for hundreds of years. I call it a promise with a problem. Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Paul is saying God is sovereign enough to take the good things and the bad things, the days where the sun is shining, the days when the storms are fierce, and his sovereignty, he can cause that to work together for good. I have meditated on that verse for many years. Today I want to talk about it. And then finally, in 2 Corinthians, Paul said this, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. All of us know that this tent, which is our body, that one day it will be torn down. It is appointed unto man once to die. And so it's important to know certain things because all of us are going to die. I have come to the conclusion as an old man that the most important question you can ask in this life is where am I going to spend eternity? Life is short. Death is sure. Eternity is a very long time. Some time ago, a teacher in another state 
decided to give her freshman students, the freshmen in college, a test about their general knowledge. And when she got the results after grading them, she wanted to know what they believed. Some of them believed that Ralph Nader, you remember Ralph Nader, he was a consumer advocate in the 70s and 80s, but some of those college freshmen thought he had been a professional baseball player. They thought that J. Edgar Hoover had been a former president. And then the one that really got me was they thought Mark Twain had invented the cotton gin. <laughs> and so the point I'm trying to make is that there are a lot of people who believe things that ain't so. But there's another area of life that deals with our eternity, our Christian experience, that simply they believe it, but it's not so. And You've heard this. There are people who believe that all roads lead to heaven. There was a saying in ancient times that all roads led to Rome. That wasn't true. And it's not true that all roads lead to heaven. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is being very specific. He's being very clear that in order to go home to be with our eternal Father, we must go through that one door which is Jesus Christ. And so today, you know that a lot of people believe stuff that are not true. They believe it uh, in the political world. We hear politicians tell us stuff, and they believe it, but it just ain't so. And so the first verse says, we know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. One of the salient marks of a true church is whether or not you love people in the church and outside the church. It's easy to say that I, I love someone. This word know here is a specific word not used very often in the New Testament. And today I'm not trying to teach you any Greek. Uh, but it is important to delineate what we sometimes mean when we use the word know and what we know in terms of what it means to go to heaven. There is a word that is often used in the New Testament, and I'll just give it to you and move on because it's gnosko. That is not the word here. The word that the Holy Spirit employs is a different word. The word gnosko means that I have some historical knowledge of things. For instance, we are told that George Washington is buried at Mount Vernon. And I assume that's true. So I tell people I know if that conversation comes up, it hasn't come up for 30 years. But, you know, I know he's buried there. I I, I know that Eli Whitney is the one who buried or who invented the cotton gin. 
Uh, I know that uh, Neil Armstrong was uh, the one who landed on the moon first. In fact, believe it or not, he was related to a lady that went to the church that I served a long time ago. But here, the Holy Spirit uses not the word gnosko, but it's oidomen, which means that I have a vested interest in what I know. It's different than just knowing that Washington is buried at Mount Vernon. If they were discovered that he was not, that wouldn't really make a big difference in my life because I have nothing invested in that. But the word that is used here means not only that I feel very strongly about what I know, that I am very convictional about what I know, that I have some visceral feelings about what I know, but I also have some understanding about what I know. And so when we say, or when the Holy Spirit says, we know that we have passed from death, that is being unsaved to being saved, non-Christian to Christian, death to life, I, I know and I have an understanding about that. And I feel very strongly about that. In other words, he is saying here, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And I say to you that one of the critical marks of a good church is that you love each other. In fact, our Lord underscored that in the 13th chapter of John when in verse 35 he, he said, our Lord Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one towards another. Now it's been my honor to preach pretty regularly here for over a year, and I will say, if I had to make a judgment, I would say, I, I believe this is a church where, where you love one another. Not one time has anybody come to me and, and said something ugly or uncritical about another person, and I think that speaks well of this church. And so I believe when our pastor, Pastor Trevor, comes and begins to be the spiritual overseer, the pastor, the, the leader, he will discover, and I believe it's true, and I certainly hope it's true, that this is a church that knows that they have passed from death into life because they love the brethren. Now, this is not the only indication that you're born again. But folks, if you are a professing Christian and you've allowed your heart to be filled with hate, then, then that is a serious spiritual problem. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. In 1 John 3, 14, as we're looking at, he is saying that this is a kind of knowledge that I, that I am passionate about, that I understand what's at stake here. It's not like knowing that the Super Bowl is going to be not this Sunday, but next Sunday. That's kind of a fact, we say. But to know that to love somebody 
as a Christian is a mark, not the only mark, of a Christian life. Obedience to Christ is another mark. We know Jesus, and by the way, this, this, this word to know means that I have invested something in what I'm talking about. It means that I have such a strong feeling that it may be a hill that I'm willing to down. And so we're told it by the beloved disciples. As a Christian, we know we have understanding, we have some passion about it that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And then he says, and he who does not love abides in death. It means he is a part of the old life. And so I think it's important that, that we know and understand what that word means. I, I, I asked the Lord to help me to illustrate uh, one of the things when you, when you are trying to prepare a message to illustrate something and sometimes it's hard to come up with an illustration, but let me try, and if you don't give me a good grade, I'm not going to cry over it. <laughs> but let's assume that you young mothers were talking one day, and in the course of a conversation, your children came up, and, and, and maybe you just said, I, I just love my children. And then before you got over your conversation, uh, somebody said, my husband took me out and we had pizza last night and you said, oh, I love pizza. But now you don't mean the same thing when you say I love my children as I love pizza. It's an entirely different kind of feeling. In other words, if you are saying I, I love my children on the same level as I love pizza, they need a new mother, right? <laughs> and so, you see, in, in the English language, and maybe it's true of all languages, I'm, I just know about Greek and, and English, but, but in the English language, we have one word to express a lot of stuff that's unrelated. You know, I, I can say genuinely that I love my wife. But I also love peanut butter. But it's not the same thing. And so the word no has the concept that I have invested or God has invested in me because he went to the cross, his son shed his blood, the power of God raised him from the dead and blessed God because of that, I am a child of God. Therefore, I can say that I know I have some understanding that when I know that I have passed from death into life because I love the brethren. And then the, the next thing, the next verse is that, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. I must confess this morning that for, for many, many years I struggled with that verse. 
And one reason I struggle with that verse is because many, many years ago, I was getting ready to preach at Franklin Heights, and a couple of gentlemen came in, and the reason they came is to tell a couple in our church that their son had been killed in an accident. And I remember being in the room when they brought the mother in, and they, the father had just been told, and I was there, and the mother walked in, and they told what happened, and it looked like a bolt of lightning struck that lady. Ten or twelve years later, I understood that because my wife and I lost our son. But an hour or two later, after church, as people began to gather at that home, there was a man who happened to be a member of our church, and here is a couple who are trying to assess and to understand the, uh, what is impossible to understand, that their precious son would never again be alive. And they were broken and they were hurting, and they were depressed. And I heard that man say, now you know that all things work together for good who love God. And I told a deacon of mine, get that man out of that room. Folks, that's not the time to apply that verse. Now, is that true? Yes, it's true. But what I'm trying to say is, this is the kind of verse that God gives us a great promise but there's a problem with it. How is it in our lives that God who died for us in the person of his son can take the worst that can happen to you and how can that come out as good? And I, uh, I've meditated and thought about that verse for a long time. And, and I, I, I want to tell you some of the things I think I've learned let me say, first of all, what this verse does not say. It does not say, for we know that all things are good. No, there are a lot of bad things that happen to us. It, it is not saying that, that, that God uh, cannot work together, but there are good things that happen, there are bad things that happen. There are good things and there are tragic things. It does not say that God causes all bad things. God doesn't have a thing to do with the drug culture. He's not through with the lawlessness. He's not have anything to do with human trafficking. I don't think God has a thing to do with abortion. But yet, for the Christian. Somehow we are told to know with some understanding, I, we know that, we, we feel strongly about it, that God can take even the bad things and the dark things and the disastrous things and ultimately, what does it say? He says, work together for good, for our spiritual good. Now, I speak as someone who's lost a child. Some of you have lost children. But we believe that because God loves us, that he can even take that tragedy 
and ultimately we understand that God will work it out. Maybe it'll be in eternity. And by the way, you see that word, it says God calls us all things to work together. Now, let me give you one more Greek word. That that word in Greek is synerge. And, And we get the word synergism from that. Now, I don't use synergism every day in the week. In fact, I don't think I ever used that word until I started studying that verse. But you know what synergism is? It is the process. You don't know, and, but I'm about to explain it to you. It's the process where you take different elements, bring them together, and what you have as a result is better than the parts that they were before. To illustrate, chloride is poisonous. If you drink or eat chloride, you'll die or get mighty sick. But when it is brought together with sodium, you have salt. And salt's good about on everything, especially fried chicken. In other words, synergism is the, is the process where you can bring different things together, not just chemically, but in other things, and that what is brought together is better than the other parts because you bring them together. What that word is saying here, that God in his sovereignty can bring the good and the bad together for our ultimate good. And so what I would suggest (coughs) that we do as Christians, and it's particularly true when you get a certain age, If you were to take a piece of paper and go over your life and on one side of the page you write down the good things that have happened in your life, your your marriage, the birth of your children, the job that you have, the fact that God has allowed you to have a warm home in the summertime and probably a cool home I mean, a warm home in the wintertime and a cool home in the summertime. Write down all the good stuff. And don't forget about the ability to read or the ability to live in a land where you you can have a measure of freedom. And then on the other side, write down the bad stuff. And I dare say you'll find the good is going to be a lot bigger than the bad. And, 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 and we all have some bad stuff. We're all at some points have our hearts broken. All of us know something about walking through the storms of life. But praise God, we also can rejoice in the goodness of God. And that's what we need to emphasize. In, in our old age, or in my old age, and my wife's young age, Uh, She'll often say, you know, Larry, the Lord has been good to us. Boy, that's true. Larry, we have so much to be thankful for, and that is so true. And I have recognized as I get down to the, the lengthening shadows of life, I really do believe 
and I feel strongly about and I am passionate about the God who says he loves me can even take bad things and he can bring about ultimately good things. And by the way, uh, just so you might understand a little better, God does not make bad things happen, but he allows bad things to happen. And I can document that at least from two sources. And Job, in the first chapter, the devil, Satan, had to go before God to get permission from God to touch Job. And when he got permission, he not only touched him, he slammed him. He lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his children. And at the end of it, Job, that Old Testament man who had not heard of Jesus Christ, said, as a man of faith, even if the Lord slays me, yet will I trust him. And I read a long time ago, when you cannot trace the hand of God, you must trust the heart of God. Does that make sense? I mean, when, when you can't trust, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I, I don't understand the reason why this happened. And to this day, I have no earthly idea why my wife and I were chosen to, to lose our son at age 25. But the death of our son is no greater than the death of your child or your grandchild. It's just a part of life. But yet as a Christian, I may not be able to trace the hand of God, but by the grace of God, I will trust the heart of God. For we know... And then listen to this. I ran across, I've been having some devotional time in Ecclesiastes, and, and I ran across this a couple of days ago. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Now, that's what the Lord said. When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider, think, know that God has made both of them. And so as a Christian, we come in the extremity of life and, and, and we say, I believe that God can work all things out of bad and good for his will. So our God, who is sovereign, takes even what seems to be harmful and hurtful, and he takes these and in the end works it out for good. But notice that this verse is only for those who love the Lord. He's, he didn't make that promise to people who are unregenerate. He says, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, this is a promise. It may have a problem with it, but it's a promise to the children of God. Even the depression in my life, even the health problems in my life, 
even the horrible things in my life, the great God of the universe can take that and use it for my good. And then we must hurry on. I was going to let you out early, but I've changed my mind. <laughs> and then the last verse, it says, For we know that if the earthly tent, talking about our bodies, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. One of the great truths of Christian faith is that Christian faith redefines death. See, this, is ver this verse is not a morbid concentration on dying. It is simply to tell us that Christianity, the fact that Christ, when he died and when he rose again, that, that redefined what death is to us. And the Psalms, do you know what it says in the Psalms? This is God's view of death. Now, it's not our view because we're human. But you know what God's view of death is, according to the Psalms? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And you remember in the New Testament in Thessalonians, when Paul was writing about the coming of the Lord, he said that those who are asleep, oftentimes in the New Testament, the word death is not used. It is used for the word sleep because, folks, when Christians die, praise God they're not dead because they will rise again. And in the year I've been here, what, we've had three or four funerals. But because of what God has done for us in Christ, those who have died, one day they will be raised from the dead and one day they who have trusted Christ as Savior will have new bodies. It, right now they're in the presence of the Lord. And so he says he has given us a new definition and we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, Eternal in the heavens, Jesus said to his disciples, don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you, a house for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also. Praise God, Jesus is coming again. Folks, it may be a lot sooner than we think. And I uh, might preach a sermon on the second coming. I've got a couple of more Sundays. And what I'm trying to say is here as we close that nothing is more important than knowing where you're going to spend eternity. If you're here today and you're not sure about that, you need to make it sure. It's not some little historical fact. Being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Joining the church doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You have to go through the door to become a child of God, which is Jesus Christ. And then you can say, I know it because I've experienced it. I understand it. I feel strongly about it. It is that word that is Rarely used, oidomen, 
I have understanding. It is a hell that I'm willing to die on. And folks, there's a lot I don't know, but I do know that with all my heart, God has given us a good word from his word. Amen. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for each of us. We don't deserve it, Lord. It's grace. It's mercy. It's not by works that we have done. But, Lord, I thank you today. We know some things. We don't know everything, but we know some things. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. And we know that if our bodies are torn down, the tent, we, uh, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Lord, we know that, and we praise God for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn, and if you want to respond, if you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity, you, you need to be sure. Maybe you're here today and you have a prayer need and you'd like me to enter into that with you, I will, as we stand and sing. <laughs>